Hello and welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we're focusing on the all-important seller's offer date. This decision to set a specific date and time to review offers is designed to maximize a seller's property's exposure and stir up competition among buyers with the goal of achieving the highest sale price possible. But what does this process involve exactly? From setting expectations, registering offers, and understanding the critical timings, to comprehending terms like irrevocable, certified deposit check, and navigating multiple rounds of offers, we've got you covered. At Fox Marin, our job is to guide our sellers through each step of the process so they are informed and in the know. Our belief in complete transparency means we'll be sharing the nitty-gritty details behind the scenes so you'll be fully informed and confident in your selling journey. So whether you're taking the first steps into selling property or a seasoned veteran seeking new insights, today's podcast is for you. Packed with expert advice, insider tips, and industry secrets, we are here to help you maximize your property sale one step at a time. Let's navigate this part of the seller's journey together. Here we go. It's the middle of July, 2023. We are Fox Marin Associates, Toronto's most innovative and active brokerage in central and downtown Toronto. We aren't here to regurgitate boring stats. You can find those anywhere. We're here to share what we see going on in the Toronto real estate market in real time on a weekly basis so that you can be in the know and make informed decisions. If you're interested in getting an up-to-the-moment opinion on what is happening in Toronto real estate right now and learning about what's going down boots on the ground before it becomes a stat, then you're in the right place. My name is Ian Busher, and I'm a broker with the Fox Marin team. Keeper number handy, this is Corey Marin, in-house hype girl and resident expert listing broker. And a good man to know, Mr. Ralph Fox, our analytical investor-driven macro picture watcher. We do this every week, so hit that subscribe button and join us for the latest update every seven days. All right. So let's dive deeper into the practical steps that sellers should anticipate in this scenario. When their property is listed on MLS and the sellers are hosting an offer date at a specific date and time. The goal here is clear, attract as many potential buyers as possible. Mm -hmm. A diligent selling agent will be pulling out all the stops to ensure your property gets the maximum exposure. This means more views, more showings, and more footfall at your property, all translating to more written offers. The higher the number of offers, the greater the final sale price on the offer date, assuming all goes according to plan. Essentially, it's a calculated strategy to stimulate a bidding war, ultimately driving up your property's sale price. Corey, I'm going to hand it over to you. Do you want to kick off today's step-by-step guide to the offer date process for sellers? Yes, I do. So, very... I thought you might. (laughs) I'm looking forward to chatting about this. I think this is going to add a lot of value for our selling viewers today. And just to give context one more time, we're looking at this specific strategy in conversation through the lens of the seller. And we're inviting our viewers into a call or a coaching call that we would personally have with our selling clients the day before they host an offer afternoon or evening on their listing for their home or their condo that they're selling with us at a specific date and time when we're having a, um, an offer review. So I think we just need to be very clear about who our audience is here, what perspective we're looking through, what lens we're looking at this through so that everyone can understand the strategy. And I think this is going to be very helpful because every time we've had this conversation with our selling clients, they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. This is how it all goes down. So we want to set up everybody for super success 
And whether you work with us or not, I think you're going to find a lot of value in this step-by-step guide as to exactly what goes down behind the scenes. All right, you guys ready to dive in? We're going to talk process today. We're going to get nitty gritty on all of that kind of stuff. You guys up for it? Born ready. I'm ready. Okay. Bring it on. All right. So it's important that we stay streamlined and that we're stacking this in order of how we do things. And again, as if we're having a coaching call with our selling clients the day before the offer date and we're talking them through the process of the offer date itself. So let's dive in. So first of all, uh, Ralph, what is the importance of sending out offer instructions to buyer agents the day before we host an offer date and time? And what do those look like? And why do we do it? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I think it's really important because when you run as a listing agent, when you run an offer presentation, you need to really make sure that it's organized and structured and not a free-for-all. So I think it's really important to communicate that um, to the agents that have shown the property or may have interest in the property, outlining how it's all going to unfold and what expectations are in terms of timing and how an offer is to be presented and what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable. And then it's equally as important to share that with your sellers, with your clients, so that they themselves, maybe having gone through this process for the first time, can understand what the outlined rules of the game are and what the expectations are from other agents. And that email will outline when offers have to be registered by, um, when they have to be uh, presented, when they have to be sent in, when they are going to be presented. Generally, the way at least we, we can only speak for ourselves, um, like to run our offer nights is we don't want this to go back and forth for hours and hours and hours. We want to be very clear to come in with your highest and best with the intention to get it done in one shot. Uh, and only if offers are close, will we reserve, reserve the rights or the sellers reserve the right to ask parties at their own discretion if they want to improve. So I think it really sets a good outline and tempo as to what the expectation is. And then there's basic housekeeping things like have all of your documents together in one PDF as opposed to 17 PDFs that you then have to put together like uh, Frankenstein uh, to try and get sense of what the actual agreement looks like. So it's very good because it gives structure, it gives uh, organization, it gives context and a, a level of expectations for all parties as to how things are going to go down and what to expect. Now, that doesn't mean that's what that is actually what's going to happen, but it's a very good starting place with which to work from. I love that answer. And so do all agents send out offer instructions, Ian? No. Okay. And Not necessarily. And but what? I would say a good percentage of them do. A good agent the, does it. The good agent does it. And the message is typically very consistent. So from agent to agent, it will list just like Ralph was saying, things like how we'd like it to go down, what we expect, please bring your best offer. And uh, one thing I think it needs to be said too, I mean, it's in Toronto, it's very much a seller's market. So typically there's a seller's wish list of this closing date would be preferred. And please 
bring, make sure you bring a deposit check. Please come condition free. So, um, any good agent working with a savvy buyer is going to do as much as they can. I use the term woo, right? You're asking the seller to the prom. So you're trying to make your offer as attractive as possible. So that's, uh, yes, uh, not everyone will do it, but the good agents will. And I would say probably 75% of the time when I've shown a property, I will get uh, an information email from the seller agent explaining what they're looking for. Okay, I love that. So to recap, we send out offer instructions the day before the offer presentation date and time. This goes out to all the buyer agents that have shown interest in the property or booked an appointment to see the property. It goes out by email. And then we send a copy of those offer instructions to our selling client so that they're aware of everything that we have communicated to the buyer agent. So that's how we kick off the process. I love it. Ian, can you explain what the offer registration time is and where would one find that in an MLS listing? The offer registration time is... I'm going to define it by what it is not. Okay. Um, Basically, uh, we're looking for you to submit your offer at a certain time, but in advance of submission, we would like to know that you're coming. So that's what the registration form is for. Uh, to give you a, um, a couple of numbers by way of example, we might be looking for you to submit your offer at 6 p.m. via or by 6 p.m. via email, but register by 4 p.m. Okay. And the reason why they're registering is so that other offers are aware of how much competition is coming. Yes. So the the courteous, uh, the organized and the courteous will actually follow that instruction, mm-hmm. which can be found in the broker remarks of a listing. Sometimes some will, and I, I usually warn sellers that, you know, sometimes people are late. So people are working, people are in meetings, they don't get the signatures they need on time. Registration can be late and that's fine, but um, I always appreciate agents that get their registration in on time. Because that levels the playing field. It's fair and courteous to everyone else to say, I'm coming, I'm coming too, I'm coming too. And then people can make adjustments to their offer based on how much competition will be there. Okay. And the registration itself is actually a document called the Form 801. And I often use the terminology, it's like a title page for the offer. It's a commitment that the buyers have signed that they will be coming forth with with an offer at a specific time on that date. And then that Form 801, the title page per se, is registered with the listing agent and their brokerage. And the brokerage keeps count or formal count of how many offers are technically registered on the property. And this is another way for us to create um, some, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, Uh, legality around the amount of offers registered. So there are no phantom offers per se. And I think there was some concern before this formalized documentation came into play that listing agents were often being over exuberant as to how many actual offers were registered on the property, which was often driving up the prices and the bids. And in this way, now that we have signed documentation that needs to live with the listing brokerage as proof, then this way we're keeping everything tempered and under control, fair and formalized. Okay. And once we know how many offers are registered, how do buyer agents that are offering on the property know how many offers are registered? Where do they find that information and how do they communicate that with their clients, Ralph? 
Well, the first thing is, is anybody who has seen the property will have booked a showing through an internal system called Broker Bay. And through Broker Bay or via email or text, um, a listing agent will keep all parties uh, apprised of how many offers have been registered. So there will be a running count. And so many times on the buy side, we'll be texting our clients being like, okay, we're up to eight. Oh, nine just <laughs> came in. So there's a running count that um, all agents will have access to. And oftentimes, if you have a really interested party, you're probably texting direct with the listing agent or the buyer agent is asking lots of uh, real-time questions. So that information is communicated in real-time uh, via the the broker base system or the listing agent. Perfect. And you can also log into the system, uh, into Broker Bay, and you can see the amount of offers registered. And if you're old school, you can also call into the listing brokerage and ask the front desk how many offers are registered on the property. But sometimes there can be a discrepancy because someone may just not register, but just send an offer or send an 801 form directly into a listing agent. So normally the most up-to-date count will be with the listing agent. And then from there, probably Broker Bay. And then third probably would be the front desk of a broker. Perfect. And I just want to reiterate one more time, as Ian mentioned, that the offer registration in this scenario, we're saying it's at 4 p.m. Many, many, many times, the offer registrations do not come in on time. So when we have these coaching calls with our seller clients, I think this is a really important part of this conversation. When we talk to them the day before, we mention that this is how the protocol takes place and that we're expecting offers to be registered at 4 p.m. Agents hold their cards very close to their chest and often do not register their offer until the very last minute for two reasons. One, they want to see how much interest is on the property before their buyers may or may not commit to coming forward. And the second reason is they're just really disorganized. (laughs) So, Mostly the latter. Yes. So oftentimes selling clients out there that are listening, you might not hear of any offers all day long being registered on your particular property until the very last minute. So it is a very long day and very stressful as you're just like waiting for something to happen. It's like when you book a flight to go overseas and your flight is like at seven o'clock at night and you wait all day to go to the airport. You're just like waiting around so that you can get into your Uber so you can finally get to Pearson. It's the same sort of feeling. You're just like waiting for something to happen. So none of the nuts and bolts really start taking place until that registration time, which you can find in the broker marks as Ian uh, discussed. And then also noting that everyone seems to register last minute, if not late. So... Now we know that the offers need to be registered at a specific time. And in this scenario that we're using as an example is 4 p.m. The information about how many offers are registered are living within the system and the listing agent knows how many offers are registered. In the broker remarks, it now suggests that offers need to be submitted, which means the offer package itself by 6 p.m. in the scenario that we're talking about. What does that mean exactly, Ian? Offers need to be submitted by six o'clock. Basically, what we're looking for is uh, the email that contains the actual 
full offer paperwork. So your registration form is just one page saying you're coming. And the full offer package includes the agreement of purchase and sale, any schedules, uh, other paperwork that I won't get into here, but it's, it's usually, you know, anywhere from a 12 to 18 page document. So we're looking for that. We mentioned before, it's not always one PDF, but we're looking for that, that lengthy document that explains all the terms and conditions this buyer is bringing as part of their offer. Okay. That's exactly it. And so selling clients, if you're out there, oftentimes we don't know what your offers look like until we get those offer packages around that six o'clock mark. And again, not to keep repeating it, the chances of us getting everything on time at six o'clock is very rare and we often get stragglers. Ralph, can you talk a little bit about the stragglers here and like how delayed some agents are getting us that full, complete paperwork package? Sometimes they can be very delayed. Um, Oftentimes, you will get a phone call or a text saying, hey, uh, my client just got out of work and I'm in showings and I won't be at the office for 35 minutes. I'm hustling to try and get this into you. I'll get this into you as soon as possible. And then 35 minutes becomes 45 minutes, which then becomes 50 minutes, which then becomes an hour. And there you are waiting for this last straggler to come in. Sometimes there can be uh, several stragglers. Sometimes you can get an incomplete offer and you could be waiting for the balance of the offer to come in. So there's all types of variables. Uh, I think the most important thing to know is that it's not a hard and fast rule or deadline and offers do and most of the time uh, often come in after that deadline. And so I think as a seller, it's really important to be prepared to know that this isn't going to be necessarily neat and clean despite the best efforts of an organized listing agent. I think too, Corey, if I might add, it's important for both buyers and sellers to be aware of this fact too, right? Because if you're on the buying side, it can be the same thing. You might think that you're alone and two or three more offers show up an hour after registration. So uh, sort of take nothing for granted. Mm -hmm. Um, We set these rules to try to stay organized, but um, oftentimes it it kind of falls apart and things come in late and we don't know exactly how it's going to happen until it's happened. Yes. And there is nothing legally binding anyone to do anything at a specific date and time, despite the Mm -hmm. best intentions. It's not a closing door. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think people think that it's not fair. Like, so they're like, oh, well, you know, everyone's package was supposed to be in by six and now it's seven. It's not fair that this person gets to offer now. And it's like, it's in the seller's best interest that they look at the full broad range of offers that are coming in, we are going to choose to wait and see what agent X, Y, Z needs to bring to the table or can bring to the table. Now, how long do you wait around for offers? Like what's kind of a good litmus test for that? Like somebody's like, yeah, yeah, I'm really busy. I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. Do you wait half an hour? Do you wait two hours? Do you wait three hours? Or you just wait based on your instincts that evening, Ralph? Well, at the end of the day, you always follow your clients or the seller's um, direction. And sometimes we've had elderly clients and they have to go to bed by a certain <laughs> point. They just can't stay up to deal with it. So there's a lot of variables that can determine how long you will wait for that offer to come in. But the other thing I just wanted to take a step back with and acknowledge is generally the good agents are the ones that come in within the deadlines and follow the directions. and 
you know, if there's a hundred thousand dollars spread between a late offer and uh, a non-time offer that's done properly, um, that's one thing. But if they're close, you're always going to be rooting, and your seller will always be rooting for the people who have come in cleanly on time and in a structured manner because a lot can happen from the time an offer is accepted to close and generally a good agent and a good buyer are going to be theoretically easier to deal with if there's bumps in the road than somebody who's completely disheveled, disorganized and can't put paperwork together. So all of these things do add up from a seller's or listing agent's perspective. But you know, you are going to try and be as reasonable as possible, especially if a buyer agent is being highly communicative mm-hmm. or stressed. I mean, we recently had a situation where we had an older agent and she couldn't work the electronic signature. <laughs> and we literally sat around for two hours and she had to go to her office and get somebody to help her. And it was a whole thing. <laughs> and so she was trying And so we were giving her the benefit of the doubt. Her offer wasn't the one that won. The one that won was the one that followed all the rules and came in on time. Um, And so oftentimes, the better offers are typically from the better agents who know how to be organized and follow through. And it's much easier in today's age to submit on time because we now have electronic signature and everything is submitted via email most of the time. I know when we were all started in the business, we were presenting in person, you know, sitting with our clients in cars, having everyone hand sign everything because electronic signature was not accepted via legislation. And then we would all either be, remember, used our turbo scanners on our phones to mm-hmm. scan documents from our phones and or find like a local Kinko's or like a FedEx so that we could scan things back and forth. Yeah. So the fact that we have electronic signature and everything's done through email now makes it quite effortless to get things done on time and on the go because uh, buyers can literally sign documents from their phone. And if there needs to be... I don't know phone, about you two guys without dating yourselves, but I've, had, I've faxed offers I've faxed before. offers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> no. Some of our viewers are like, what is a fax? I, I think it's <laughs> funny that MLS even still has a space for the fax number. For a fax yeah. number? Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. this, this is obsolete, is it not? Okay, this is really helpful. Okay, I really love that we're breaking this down. I hope everybody who's listening is tracking exactly what's going down. Okay, so we've got all the offer packages finally in our inbox, even if we've been waiting for some stragglers to come in. So now we've got, let's say, for the sake of this scenario, we have eight offers. But the eight offers and what we do at Fox Marin is we take all the eight offers and then we put together a Google Sheet, which outlines the highlights of all of the offers. The highlights include the obvious, but I'm going to break some of those things down. Who the buyer agent is, who the uh, buyer brokerage is, their client. And then we'll list all the highlights of the offer itself. Obviously, the price, the deposit, the closing date, the title search date, um, if there's any conditions or not, if there's anything odd or strange in the offer that we need to highlight that we might not have seen or a strange ask per se. And we'll also include a column if the buyer agent has included a copy of the certified deposit check or not. So this is a summary of all the offers. And then obviously, because we're in Google Sheets, we get to sort it from lowest to highest or highest to lowest. So we can see 
everything from a macro uh, vantage point, which is really helpful because it's really quick to see who stands out from the crowd and who doesn't. So we've got some like low offers and high offers and people in the middle. Ralph, can you just give a little bit of insight as to the delta we've often seen between the shittiest or lowest offer and then the best and highest offer? And what do those differentials look like? You can see massive discrepancies between the top offer and the lowest offer from uh, paperwork to conditions to price. I mean, it's all there. And you could see a discrepancy depending upon the asset class. Uh, in, a, in low rise, we've seen three, $400,000 spreads between the top offer and the bottom offer. Uh, we've seen paperwork come in that is illegible and uh, not complete. Mm-hmm. We've seen offer come in without deposit checks. We've seen all every kind of condition under the sun at one point or another. We've seen put into uh, into an offer. And so, you know, it's one of the things we really tell our clients to think about is, is that there could be a very large discrepancy between, you know, the top and the bottom. And generally, you'll have a pack sort of somewhere in the middle with one or two standouts that usually uh, will be in the range, hopefully, of what the seller's expectations are, or even more importantly, beyond that range. And, uh, you know, the, these things are always... Uh, difficult to predict and uh, oftentimes can be surprising and interesting uh, to everybody, including us. We certainly have not seen it all. I'll tell you that. (laughs) That's so true. Okay. So we've got these eight offers in this scenario. We've outlined everything in our Google Sheet. We have not told generally the sellers as to where we're at yet outside of the fact we have these eight offers. So the next part in the process is we're going to jump on a call or a Zoom call, depending on the client. And we are now going to disclose all the secret information we have, which is all about the juicy details of all the offers. And we're going to present the offers to the sellers, which is our fiduciary duty to the seller to present all the offers. Ian, how do you go about presenting all of the information in that spreadsheet to your selling clients? I usually get on a call with them, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, and I will sort of start at the bottom of the list and yeah. say, we've got uh, this agent has brought this person forward and this is their offer price. It's condition-free. They do have a check. That's your first one. And I will kind of just build until we get to the highest price. So rather than starting at the top and saying, and and here's everything else, kind of saying, okay, here's where we start. And here is kind of the pinnacle of it. Yeah. And taking them through every single one of those details. Yes. And one of the things on that spreadsheet as well, and I know we're going to talk about this in a moment, is also the irrevocable time. So just how much time do we have to work with this and consider it before it expires? Yes. And Ralph, Um, how do you present them? Do you do the same thing? Yeah, I like to make it as fun and dramatic as possible, especially if you have that one killer or couple killer numbers, because you know what they don't know at that point, that they're going to get a really good number. So it can be really fun to sort of take them through uh, the offers that are presented and walk them through uh, you know, where they're at. And then obviously, to let them know Hopefully that the winner is going to be a record-breaking sale number. Yeah, like the, the, we we make sure they're very clear on that, and then we send them that list uh, after having reviewed it with them, so that they have it along with all the offers. 
And I agree, it's only really fun to present the spreadsheet if you've got some killer offers in there. Yes. It is not as fun to present the spreadsheet if you've got mediocre offers or less than expectation offers or no offers when the spreadsheet Mm -hmm. is blank. Um, So I agree that how you position that presentation really uh, can be super fun if you've got great material to share, but then it can be a little bit nerve-wracking to have that conversation with your selling clients if you're going to be delivering disappointing information that you know that they aren't going to be that pumped about. So how we position it at Fox Marin and our tone really just depends on the information that we have at hand. Hopefully, we're sharing something really fun and exciting and can make it dramatic um, just to make it as hype as possible. But there are many times we've had to temper that as well. Okay, so we've got all of that shared. Now, what happens when the buyer clients have also shared personal letters with their offer package? Are you forwarding those along to the seller? And are those important for them to review, Ralph? Yeah, I mean, we, we share everything uh, with our clients. It is our duty to share uh, the contents of an offer with our clients. But I think where it becomes more interesting is with those interesting offers. Um, that are at the top. I think that's when it becomes more relevant or oftentimes if offers are really close, a really good letter can set one um, buyer uh, apart from the other buyer and make a seller want to work with them. Especially if it's a property where there's a strong sentimental value uh, to buy the sellers. Perfect. Mm -hmm. And Ian, do you do anything with the personal letters? Do you read them? Do you read them or do you just forward them along? I actually don't pay attention to them until after I've gone through uh, with the clients everything that we've done. And in your scenario where we have eight, if there are three top ones that are in contention, if any of those have a letter, I will pull the letter off the offer and send that to the client to read just to see if that has, you know, if that matters to them, if it makes any makes any difference to to their selection process. I want them to, of course, it's our duty for them to have all the information. But if there's one on if there's a personal letter on the uh, lowest offer, um, I will, of course, let my seller know that it's there. But if there's nothing about that offer that's attractive, the letter is Screw it. <laughs> moot. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about these we'll people and their dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're offer shit. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I hope this letter works for you next time. Yeah. yeah. I know. I always wonder how many times these letters have just been recycled with a new address. I'm like, did you really mm-hmm. write a personal customized letter or is this just a template with a new address on it? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so just to take a breather here, have we covered all the steps up until now? We've got all of the offers, everything's been registered, we're above board, we've communicated with the seller, we've presented everything and we've shared everything as per our duty. Have I missed mm-hmm. anything here up until this point? Because this is when the negotiation starts to happen. So I just want to make sure we've got our ducks in order and our admin is bang on. We're good? I don't I don't think so. And in our example now, we're probably at about 7.30, 8 o'clock p.m. Yeah, right? at the earliest. Just to kind of put a timeline to this, <laughs> yes. right? They registered by 4. They submitted at 6. We reviewed at 6.30 to 7. Now... What's next? Okay, I love it. I think the only other thing that we might be doing is also communicating with the buyer agents that have actually registered and submitted to let them know, hey, we're speaking with our clients tonight around, hopefully we're able to do this. It's around 7.30 to present. We'll keep you posted. Now, sellers listening to this, at this stage in the evening, this is when buyer agents start to kind of get sometimes aggressive 
Yeah. They're ready for a fight. They're Tense. texting Tense. us. <laughs> What's yeah. happening? Any updates? Any updates? Any updates? Any updates? updates, updates. Going on? Have you updates? Yeah. So this is where things get a little bit hectic because we're trying to communicate with the seller. There's buyer agents. Some are emailing. Some are texting. If there's multiple agents involved, you know, if say for example, Ralph and I are both on the listing and we have a listing coordinator, the agents messaging all of us at different places, email, texting, calling. So this is where things get a little bit, I'm going to say a bit more heightened, a bit stressful. We've got to stay organized. We want to stay really calm. We want to be really communicative. And we want to respect both sides of the negotiation process. But for buyer agents listening out there, like, please don't harass the listing agent like right away. Like, you know, give them a second. (laughs) It's a lot going on. You know, paperwork. We know where to find you. Yeah, we know where to find you. Just breathe for a second. So Ian, you had mentioned the irrevocable here. So what Mm -hmm. does that mean um, to both the seller and the buyers? And why does that matter if it's now like 7.30 at night and we're just addressing offers and negotiating here at this stage in the game? The irrevocable time is an expiry time for that offer. So if it goes beyond the irrevocable time listed in the agreement of purchase and sale, that is what we would call a dead offer, mm-hmm. meaning that it has expired now. It's not alive. So let's, uh, for the sake of this example, say that the buyer who submitted this offer maybe put 10 o'clock on it. And by the time a couple of straggler offers come in and we've reviewed everything with the clients, it's now 8 o'clock. We're eyeballing that 10 o'clock deadline, especially for a really good offer and saying we want to make sure that we don't need to ask for an extension on this and we can respond and have this offer accepted by the deadline that's within it. For a buyer who knows they've got a a good offer with a good price, condition-free, and everything else about it is great, they're going to want to try to keep that tight. They want the pressure applied to the seller and their agent to react quickly, get back to them, and take that offer. Um, To the seller and their agent, we just want to keep an eye on it, make sure we keep things moving, make sure we don't let anything good slip away uh, just because uh, time has gotten the better of us. Perfect. All right. This is super helpful. Now, one other thing that I think is really important to consider at this stage in the offer night process is we've got these eight offers in this scenario and the top three are pretty damn good. So we know we have something healthy to work with here. But we notice that one of those three offers possibly be could be the winner has a couple of small errors in their paperwork and we've noticed this we want to flush this out now what do we do with that like we're like oh no this buyer and their agent have a couple small errors in their paperwork this should probably be addressed now versus later Ralph what would we do in that scenario and why would we go back to the buyer agent and highlight the fact they have a couple of errors in their paperwork at this stage in the negotiation Well, the first thing to understand is um, the seller can only put pen to paper to one offer. Mm -hmm. So if they have multiple offers, meaning there are multiple buyers still in the game, and one of the offers, uh, maybe the front runner or in the top pack, has some challenges to it or has some issues with it that need to be corrected, then you don't, as the seller, want to put pen to paper to that offer because you could become locked into working with that offer. So all discussions at this point are verbal with the intent of having the other side, the buyer, 
come back and either make improvements or in this case, more specifically, make adjustments to the offer Mm -hmm. without us putting pen to paper and getting locked in. So the typical course of action would be to call up that buyer agent and say, hey, um, we've just reviewed your offer. Um, you're definitely looking good or you're in the top pack or there's a lot of good things with your offer. However, for us to look at it, we really need a couple things cleaned up. So can you make sure that it's 123A Main Street, mm-hmm. not 123 Main Street? And can you make sure that, you know, uh, um, you missed whatever, a signature? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you missed a signature or initial on the third page on the bottom corner. Can you, can you put that in? And then therefore we have a, a, a true offer in front of us that then we can submit or present to our client. Excellent. All right. So now we've got these eight offers. The sellers have uh, reviewed everything. And now we have to make some decisions as a team. So some options here. We could outright accept one of the eight offers because it's outstanding. It's error-free. It's an amazing price. It has a certified deposit check. It's got the perfect closing date and there's no conditions. And it's just the standout baller winner. And we can just straight out accept that one offer and then reject the seven other offers in this scenario. Another option would be we have the eight offers and they're all kind of like mediocre. And the seller's pissed. And the seller's like, hate all these people. I don't like these buyers. Everyone sucks. My place is worth (laughs) way more than all these people think it's worth. And they could, if they opted to, they could just reject all eight offers. They could just be like, we're done. We're taking our house off the market. That could mm-hmm. happen. Um, they could also, if they wanted to, as per the seller's direction, they could ask all eight offers to improve. And we could turn around to all eight of the agents and say, hey, you know what? The seller wants to do what's called a second round. And they want all eight offers to improve regardless of the lowest offer or the highest offer and everybody in between. Or, and this is the most common one, viewers that are listening to us today, this is what we most commonly see in a bidding war scenario. We've got eight offers. Three of them are solid. One of them is probably the standout. But likely what would happen with seller direction and lots of communication and lots of talks about the pros and cons of different strategies is likely what would happen is we would reject the bottom five offers and say, thank you so much for submitting this evening. Unfortunately, you're not in the running. Thank you so much. Enjoy your evening. Grab a bottle of wine. Go eat some sushi. Good night. And we would have now the three offers remaining, your top three offers. And in this case, I know this is how we would do it at Fox Marin, is we would call the buyer agents and say, hey, you know, your offer is pretty solid. It's looking pretty good. We've sent five of the offers home. We now have three offers remaining. Would you and your client like the opportunity to improve? And we would have this same conversation with buyer A, B, and C. And at this stage in the game, we're kind of in a wait and see after having these conversations with all three buyer agents to see if these buyers are willing to improve. Now, it's about nine o'clock at night in this scenario. And all of us are 
just sitting back. Maybe we're sneaking in a little bit of dinner at this point and we're waiting for the buyer agents to see if they are going to resubmit their offer with any changes. Generally speaking at this point, we're just looking specifically at price because we've already flushed out the other aspects of their offer, knowing there's no errors, there's no conditions, they've got a good closing date, and they have supplied us with a certified deposit check. So we're, we're basically looking for improved pricing. Did I describe that well? Ian? Yes, but just for clarity, they've only provided us with evidence that the deposit check, they haven't given us the deposit Correct. check. Right. Correct. Yeah. They've shown us that it's been made and it can be quickly collected. Yes, with a photo yeah. or a scan. Yeah. Is there anything else that we would be doing in this stage? When I'm on the buy side, um, I will often ask when I'm asked to improve if there's anything else about the offer that we could make better, mm-hmm. just for the record. I usually say, okay, well, I understand that improvement means, you know, go back and see if you can do anything with your price. But I say, is the close date good? Does that need moving? Is there anything that your seller doesn't like about this that I can change for you? Just to be sure that we have everything just so until we get to the conversation about the price. And I think I think the other thing that comes up here, maybe a little bit later, but in the consideration of the top contenders, oftentimes, even if we have a copy of the check, I'd like to know, well, is the check nearby? Um, should we work with your offer before we've accepted it and they know they're still competing? Could we get that check within the hour? Should our clients accept your offer? So I like to find out a little bit more about the whereabouts of that um, so that uh, when we have those final improvements, we'll be in a better situation to see what we need to do to get that firmed up tonight. I also think at this stage as well, it's good to find out a little bit more about the buyer's financial covenant. Yes. So call the buyer agent. You know, you're in the running, obviously you're in the top three. Thank you so much. You guys are doing such a great job. Tell me a little bit more about your clients. And then you're like, you know, you hear that they've got great jobs. They uh, just sold their condo. They've got 20% down and their parents are helping them buy this house. This is their dream. And you're like, I'm feeling the warm and fuzzies about so many things here. Like they've got the 20%. That's huge. They just sold a, a condo. So they've got equity. The parents are in the background as a backup, like lots of good things Like we're feeling good about this. The buyer agent has been very communicative and professional um, on time with their registration and offer package. So this is where there's a little bit of coordination between the instincts and the administration aspect that go beyond just what's on the paper. And we start feeling through things like the deposit check and how close by is it? Is the buyer agent willing to drive it over to us within the next 20 minutes? All of these things. Okay. Uh, Just one thing I'd like to add that you were talking about, just add on top of it, is sometimes you know we'll see a monster offer. Like, let's say we felt the property was worth in the range of... $2 $2 million and we get a $2.3 million offer, clients might be celebrating, but we're like, hmm, this probably might not appraise. So let's calm down here a second and let's see what additional information we could find. Because while this is an awesome offer and we can accept it, maybe even get a deposit check, if it doesn't appraise, 
how are we going to be assured that it's still going to close? And so the bigger the offer, the more questions as a listing agent you're going to want to ask just to make sure if there's an appraisal discrepancy between the sale price and the price a bank would value it at, that there's some type of a backstop there or there's a larger deposit going into the property to ensure that it will close. That's a very good point. Very good point. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we've got all... In this scenario, again, we've got these three buyer agents and their buyers all hustling and making considerations about their offer. How long do we have to wait around, Ian, for these buyer agents to make improvements to their offer? It's now like nine o'clock at night. How long does this take now? There can be a pretty big spread between them. Some agents will um, have their, you know, their their clients on the speed dial. It's a quick conversation. They were fully expecting it. They were prepared for this. And within 10 minutes, you could get uh, a brand new offer with an adjustment made to it. Um, sometimes though, we've, we've waited 45 minutes. I think it's a painful conversation to get somebody to add a little more money to it. And you as the seller agent sort of need to, now the roles have been reversed and you're the one harassing that buyer agent to say like, hey, Chop, chop. Mm-hmm. We're going to, you know, we need to get this done. We need this in. Things are, uh, we're running out of time. You're running out of time. So if you're going to make a move, do it now. Yep. So I would say, I don't think I've ever waited maybe more than 45 minutes, but the 45 minute ones are a, are a, whew, yep. that's, you're like, come on. Come on. How long is Come on. <laughs> but yeah, I would say anywhere from five minutes to 45 minutes is probably the range to get an offer adjusted and sent back. Okay. I think this is very helpful. So in the scenario where we've got these three offers, one of the offers has made no change to their offer and they've decided to hold pact. Mm-hmm. Two of the offers improve. How and what do you need to communicate with your selling clients? And what do you need to communicate to the buyer agents, Ralph? The most important thing is to let the parties that are still at the table know that other parties have improved and give them the opportunity to improve on top of their improvement should they choose to. Because sometimes if no one's improving, then it's kind of like a stalemate. So everybody should have the opportunity to know if anyone has improved to then have that opportunity to improve. And that is also in the seller's best interest, which as the listing agent, you're always looking to do. So then you would tell your sellers and communicate to them, uh, agent A has improved uh, with their clients to this number, agent B has improved to this number, and agent C has decided to stand pat. They've both, they've all been aware of everyone's improvements. And uh, it looks like at this point in time, this is going to be the best that we have to work with. Uh, you go through it with them, and then hopefully um, you get some type of consensus or direction from them as to how they would like to proceed. And this is where I find things move from paper to buyer agents trying to move to verbal. So the buyer agent and their clients know they're getting close to winning. And it's almost like everyone wants to scrap the protocol all of a sudden. And they there's a little bit of hysteria that starts to happen. And the buyer agents call and they'll be like, just tell me what to put down. Just tell me the number. And they're trying to elicit information from the selling agent to get direction from them. They're trying to get information. 
they're kind of harassing you a little bit. And I think it's really important that the selling clients that are listening and the buying clients that listen know that we cannot disclose anything about the other offers. We can only disclose how many offers are remaining and if offers have improved. But we can't coach buyer agents as to what number they need to be at or what they need to do specifically to improve. And this is where I think that some buyer agents think that using bully tactics or being rude or aggressive is helpful to their process when I actually think it's here that the nuance of being professional and keeping everything on paper and being above board actually pays off. And so I think this is another time in the evening where things get a little bit messy and you start getting phone calls and people getting a little bit frantic where emotions start to replace logical behavior. Do you guys agree with that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I tend to go with the charm route. Uh, as a buyer agent. So there are agents out there who will try to charm uh, information out of a listing agent as well. So there's that side of the equation uh, as well. But yeah, things are coming to the 11th hour at this point in time. And you can definitely feel a bit of an upsurge in energy and emotions, I guess, as things start to get frayed a little bit. Tension. Yeah. Okay. This is this is great. So I have one final question about this. So we've got mm-hmm. the three offers. One's in a standstill. Two have improved. We're now presenting to the sellers. Do the sellers uh, have the opportunity, if they want to, to ask for another round? And if they do, what is your recommendation in that case? And would you suggest that they go back to the buyer agent and say, oh, you know what? You know, you're close, but they still want more. Like, how do you know when the buyer agents are capped at their top end of the range? And when does it start feeling a bit greedy? And how do you know how to coach the seller at this stage, Ian? Like, where where does this all live and breathe? I'm interested to, to hear what the two of you have to say about this as well. But in that case, if my seller said, okay, well, the person, uh, the buyer who did not improve, they're, they're, Dead to me. Yeah. They're out, <laughs> yes. right? Um, the other two, if they ask to go back again, I would remind them that in the email, the information email that we sent out the day before, and then maybe again, even the morning of, we said, please bring your highest and best. Um, there may not be a chance to improve. So I would say to my sellers, we, we have asked them to bring their highest and best to begin with. These people in good faith have gone back and dug a little deeper and already brought you more. I think... You, you might actually um, get some resentment, mm-hmm. which I think is, you know, you don't want a bad taste in your mouth. Sometimes it can't be helped. But what, in a real estate transaction, you really kind of want all parties agreeing with each other because it may be 30, 60, 90 days to that closing date. And there's buyer visits and there's other things involved here. Let's take one of these respectfully very good offers that you've got and work with it. I, I, I would push back against my sellers a little bit and remind them that it's going to start to look really bad and greedy, yeah. to use your word, um, and, and say, I think we need to work with one of the ones that we have here, yes. unless you don't want to. Yep, I agree. Ralph, do you... But to just keep asking over and over again yeah. is ridiculous. I think a um, couple things. I think sometimes buyer agent will tell you, that's it, we're tapped, we're done. So that's one way to know that you're working with the highest and best. And one way you can relay that 
uh, to a seller when presenting a second round of offers. Sometimes an agent will tell you that they're now at the point where they're having to rebate their client's commission. Um, that's another tell. Uh, agents typically will only do that um, if their clients are at the end of their rope in terms of what they're able to offer. Um, and then it really, in my opinion, depends what's at hand. Like if there's a discrepancy after the second round of $20,000 or something like that or larger, you know, at that point in time, you know, it's large enough uh, based on the information that you provided when everybody came to the table that, you know, there's a clear winner here and that person or that buyer most likely is the correct buyer for the property. Um, everybody's different and everybody has a different mentality in life. I can tell you in my personal dealings um, and it, the way I like to conduct myself is I'm a firm believer in karma. And I think sometimes uh, in life, either in a transaction or just in general, if you try to be too greedy and try to squeeze every penny and every ounce of life out of somebody in a transaction, it generally will come around at some point in time to bite you as per Ian's either in you know that 60, 90 day period or at some other point in time. So if there's a standout, a clear standout by the second round, generally, unless there's a good reason not to, we would recommend to work with that offer. Now, if after round two, there's a discrepancy of about $3,500 or a couple thousand dollars, you know, it probably is fair to go back to both parties. And being fair and being transparent should be paramount uh, when you're trying to facilitate any type of transaction in real estate. Um, so I think it depends with what's in front of you and what the messaging is and what you have to work with. But if there's a clear standout, even in the first round, I'm always going to recommend as long as it's at or above expectations to work with that offer. Those are excellent answers. Great job, boys. So impressed. All right. Maybe it's the black t-shirts. I know you guys are matching today. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like I offset your backgrounds with my sweatshirt. See? It's incredible. I know. We didn't even plan for that. No. So, okay. We're coming to the close of this. Now it's like we're approaching 10 o'clock at night. The irrevocables are around 11. Everyone's getting a little tired. Um, everyone's like, "Do will I get to eat dinner tonight or not? <laughs> so you're like, I guess I won't be catching up on the latest Netflix show I was planning on watching tonight because I've got to go to bed soon. So we're at that stage in the game. We've had the three offers, two's improved. So three, uh, number three, uh, is at a standstill, so they're out. And so now we're down to the two. The seller has decided to work with one of the two offers and accept it. So at this stage, we don't have a deposit check in hand yet. We've just seen proof of deposit. The seller gives us direction to accept one of them. So at this stage, we can start facilitating the paperwork and send everything electronically using something called DocuSign. What do you do with offer number two that's floating out there? Do you call them at this stage and give them the rejection call? Or do you wait for fully accepted paperwork and a copy of the deposit check before you break up with offer number two? Or does it really just depend rough? I will wait till I have the signed offer so that we have an accepted offer. Then I will call as a courtesy 
um, the second highest offer and talk to the agent and let them know, listen, we've decided to work with another offer. We have the accepted offer. Uh, we are making every arrangement to get the check this evening. Um, thank you so much and thank you and your client for your time. And if for some reason that deposit check doesn't come in or this doesn't firm up, you will be my first phone call uh, to let you know that this deal uh, has not gone firm. But I definitely don't feel it's professional to the agent or to their client to keep them waiting for no reason. And um, I think it's really important to um, try and be as efficient with every and respectful uh, with everyone's time as much as possible. Ian, you're nodding. So I'm assuming you agree with the same protocol? Yeah, that's uh, 99% of the time. Absolutely. The exact same thing. Trying to be courteous, respectful to everyone. And those making those calls is really hard after somebody's really done a great job and worked their butt off um, over the last three or four hours, maybe even the last three or four days to bring us a decent or, offer. Or three or four years. <laughs> or three or four years. Instances. There can only like, be one winner. And it's just, it's, sometimes it's really hard to make those calls. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a listing agent, you know, you understand what, what it's like to be a buyer agent and yeah. you understand what's gone into what it. it's like to be on the other side. And so when you're making those calls, it could be accumulation of days, weeks, months, years of mm-hmm. blood, sweat, and tears that has culminated into another unsuccessful offer for somebody or their client. In yes. some ways, it's almost easier to be like, let go early and told, yeah, yeah you weren't even close than to be the bridesmaid. Right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Now you can go have dinner. It is the worst call to make. The worst. I always make Ralph do it. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hate The doing only it. thing worse than making that call is getting that call. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Very good point. And then a question about that. Do you ever have agents get really pissy at this point when they are like the second or third offer and get really rude? Mm, yeah. <laughs> Ian? You have. Uh, you, yes. You had yes. one that was screaming at you for days. Yep. Yep. Um, I can think of, yeah, there was one in 2021. And uh, yeah, after the initial angry call, I um, my phone once a day for a few days um, w- was a call from that agent asking what went wrong and why I didn't do something and do this and do that after clearly explaining it on the day. And then another one more recently was sort of, you know, so frustrated and uh, just really, really it's it's unfortunate. It it does happen, and we try to be as professional and and courteous as we can. But sometimes people just get really emotional about it and upset and uh, and ticked off. They get so ticked off. I have been yelled yeah. at so much mm-hmm. in these scenarios, and I yeah, sure. am like, buddy, you are yelling at the wrong person right now. And we have been transparent about this process from the beginning. We could not have handled this more professionally or more honestly, or more fairly, and you yelling at me is going to have no payoff down the road. Because if you ever offer on another one of our listings in two years or five years or 10 years, I will remember this behavior. Like, Mm -hmm. act like a professional. I know it sucks. We've all been there. All of us have been there. But like you being rude to me is not going to service you or your client today or 10 years from now. So I'm always amazed at how escalated it can get and how venting to the listing agent, it just was only a disservice to their buyer and the relationship with the listing agent in the future. So buyer agents, if you're listening to this, yelling at the listing agent is going to be a complete disservice to you 
now and forever. It will, Just, I'll it never... will achieve even less than zero. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. It's a negative impact on that day and a negative impact potentially down the road yes. too. Like think about your actions. Yes, please. Yes. Okay, so now we've got the accepted offer. The seller's ecstatic. They're so pleased. They had the eight offers. They got all the drama. They got to do the second round. They got to see the improvements. Everything, every Toronto real estate seller wants to experience when they get to be privileged to a bidding war scenario. Now we have the accepted paperwork. It's in our inboxes via electronic signature. And now we're on the hunt for the deposit check. Ralph, do you call the buyer agent and say like, can you send me the the deposit check now? And how do we get it? And like, what does that look like? There was a movie, I think like in the 90s, maybe early 2000s called The Hunt for Red October. Oh yeah, the Sean Connery. Um, yeah, it's the same thing. It's the hunt for that check, which starts the second you have an accepted offer because that offer does not become firm, provided there are no conditions, but it does not become firm until you have that deposit check in hand or tucked away nice and safely into a trust account. And so we make every effort humanly possible to get that check in that evening as soon as possible so that we can tell our sellers, congratulations, you're not just accepted, you are now firm and the money's in the bank or will be in the bank first thing tomorrow morning. Amazing. It's the best. And like we've all driven across the city at now 11 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. You know, to far away mm-hmm. places like, I don't know, the beaches or Brampton or Mississauga. We've gotten on highways to go collect a check to make sure that this gets done because it's in the seller's best interest that we have that deposit check. So I know all of us can't sleep at night until we have that deposit check and it really isn't celebratory until we truly have it. And so the MLS listing will remain as new until we get that accepted paperwork back and we have a copy of the deposit check with receipt. And then at that point in time, we can flip the MLS listing to sold. And at that point in time, we can disclose the final sale price to all of the buyer agents that have bid or anyone else who wanted to track the property and it will be published to the public as well at that point in time. Amazing. Now, what happens here if you have an offer night? We've gone through all of this. You've gone through uh, multiple offers per se. You know, you might not have a standout offer or mediocre offers or low offers. And the seller at the end of the day is just like, this isn't really what I want. I'm not happy about any of this. I'm going to reject what we have um, in front of me tonight. Uh, and I would like to proceed with considering other offers in the future. None of these are meeting my expectations. What do we do in that scenario, um, Ian? And Mm -hmm. what does this look like from an admin side? And then what do we do with the MLS? And like, what happens when the offer date doesn't flush out the way we're all hoping that it would? Having just had this happen to me recently with one listing, I can... I can sort of use that as the example okay. here, if that's all right, to break it down. But we had uh, we had a listing. I won't go into any of the details about it. Don't worry about that. We had pretty good interest in it. But then when the offer date rolled around, uh, circumstance led to we had three offers, all of them actually quite similar to each other, but probably 
eight, 9% lower than what we actually thought the value of the property okay. was. So I called all three of the offers back after, of course, consulting with the client. I'm going to leave out that every single step of this was okayed with my client first. Let's just assume that that was done. But called all the agents back and said, we've got three offers. We're going to do a round of improvements. Everyone improved, but only the slightest little bit. It, it didn't really have much impact. Um, so after a conversation with the client, I said, you, you've seen our analysis of our recent analysis of pricing. You know what's going on with the market. You know, what would you like to do? And if you'd like my opinion on it, I'm, I'm happy to share it with this can be a conversation. And, um, we decided we were going to relist the next day for, for the value that we thought rather than accept yeah. any of them. Um, I had to call all three of those agents back and say, this is our plan. We're going to go back to market and wait for someone to come along who's willing to pay a price that is closer to what we think the real value is. And I've had that situation before. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I'm bracing myself to have one of those agents that's really irate that says, you're dumb. This is a big mistake. You're leaving money on the table. You should take my offer. It's great. You're never going to do any better. Blah, 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 blah. In this case, um, luckily the agents, all three of them said, good for you. I agree with you. I was trying to get my people to see the value because I agree with you. Um, but they were spooked by this. They were scared off by that. Mm -hmm. This is the maximum of their budget. It was the best that we can do. And I'm sorry that we can't come up any higher. So that was refreshing. Um, but at the end of the day, um, yeah, if your seller is not getting what they're looking for, um, then the next step would be to inform all the agents like I did in that example. Let them know that you're, you're going to change gears mm -hmm. and come back out the next day. So administratively, you would then the next day terminate the listing and create a new MLS listing. Some agents will opt for just doing a price change. Yes. I think it's kind of uh, tidier to simply go into the MLS, terminate the old one, start up a new one at a new price and begin fresh. Totally agree with that. It's very confusing uh, when you see a price change, uh, specifically with a property where it's been listed low for an offer date or set up for an offer date scenario or bidding mm -hmm. war scenario. And then if it doesn't flush out, the listing agent increases the price and it's mm -hmm. very confusing to the buyer pool out there. So yes, it's definitely in the seller's best interest and buyers for you just to terminate and relist as a new listing and you're listing at what you feel its market value is or close to. And that is a typical thing that you will see in Toronto. And buyer agents that are tenured understand that if they see a new listing for a property and the price has gone up since its former listing, it likely means that the offer date uh, didn't flush out the way everybody was hoping. And the listing agent has just had to shift gears and relist close to market value. And this is a typical thing that we see all the time. And it's nothing for anyone to freak out out at all. Ralph, do you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I think it's important to acknowledge that when we're having conversations with sellers, when we're in early days and that conversation the night before we take offers, is really to fundamentally remind them that they don't have to accept any offers that they don't want to. And even though that's logical, I find that there's a big emotional relief mm -hmm. when you tell them that because there's an implied pressure. Well, we wanted this, we put this much as the list price at $2 million and we got three offers at $2 million, but we really wanted 2.4, knowing that they 
don't have a moral or legal obligation to take those offers under that strategy, you feel a tremendous amount of relief. And so it's really important in these conversations that we're sort of opening up in this um, uh, dialogue here uh, with our seller clients is for them to know you don't have to accept anything you don't want to. And it is fairly often uh, Ian's case in point, recent case in point, where properties for whatever reason don't actually sell on offer day and they just come back on market. And it's a very typical part of the process. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're seeing that happening more and more as the market is starting to shift a bit where we have offer day or offer night failures and then the next strategy comes, which is relist at a higher price. And most oftentimes, usually within a few days of that, the property generally will sell. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Either one of the the um, buyers who offer it on it with their agents will circle back. Um, and sometimes someone will come out of the woods and say, listen, we really love the property and we understand the pricing. We just didn't want to compete. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can do this one-on-one, uh, let's make a deal. And so it's just really important to reiterate to sellers or to anyone watching this that this is just part of a typical strategy. And when that strategy doesn't work, it's not the end of the mm-hmm. world. No one should be making any decisions under duress. And there are follow-up steps that will help eventually get that property sold um, that are not atypical or severely outside the box in terms of the Toronto real estate market. That's very helpful. I think Mm -hmm. also in these pre-offer date coaching calls that we have with our sellers, I think we have a very good pulse on the interest on the property the day before. So we can temper expectations for everybody. So if we haven't had a lot of showings, the open houses were quiet, feedback has been mediocre, no one has requested a status certificate or an inspection. I think we all just instinctively know if it's going to be a hot offer date with lots of interest and buzz and registrations and calls. And we also know instinctively when it might be quiet and then we can coach our clients well in advance and be like, I feel like there might be crickets out there. If we can get one or two offers and that's great. If we don't, don't worry. There's a there's a backup plan and we've got you. But I think that if, if we are doing these coaching calls, when we do these coaching calls, we do have a good litmus test on how things are going to go either way. And generally it's like, is anyone calling us? Are we feeling the buzz? And if we have no buzz, it means it's going to be a little bit of a poopy day, not the most fun day to have. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think setting expectations the day before is just a super helpful thing to do. And it just brings everybody down to a nice even keel so that we can strategize accordingly. Anything Mm -hmm. else that you both want to add to the actual step step guide to offer dates? Anything, any tidbits that would be helpful for the selling clients that are listening to this? So we've covered a lot of groundwork and I, I think this has been very helpful. I don't think so. I think we've, we've gone through it yep. pretty effectively. Yeah. Ralph? I think the only thing I would just end with is, is that oftentimes if this is the first time going through this process or even if it's your second or third, um, it's hard to wrap your head around it because you don't have a lot of other experiences financially or from a business standpoint that are relatable to this. And the reason is, is because we are very deeply in the seller's market here in Toronto, even as the market starts to cool a bit, 
Um, and then what happens is, is in that environment is demand far outstrips supply. And as a result, we have these blind bidding offer scenarios with properties listed below market value as a listing or marketing price with the intent of it selling at or above market value due to blind competition. And so it's just important to acknowledge to anybody listening to this or to the sellers that we work with that this whole experience is very atypical mm -hmm. from anything they may have experienced before. Or even if they've experienced it before, it could unfold in a completely different way because the supply and demand skew is so out of whack, the market behaves differently and unlike any other market you've previously experienced. And so I think giving them that context and making sure you're able to guide them through the process and having somebody considering going through the process, trying to understand how it works as much as they can in advance will be helpful so that you're not nervous or second-guessing or white-knuckling the experience as opposed to trying to make long-term strategic rational decisions that will set you up for the next transition in your life. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on today's episode where we've delved into the all-important seller's offer date and the step-by-step -step process. At Fox Marin, our commitment is to make sure you're never in the dark, ensuring you're fully informed and confident on your selling journey. We hope that today's episode has been enlightening for both those new to selling property and those looking for further insights. This journey involves strategy, patience, and timely decision-making, and we're glad to be your guiding force through it all. Remember, our team is here to simplify the process, offer expert advice, insider tips, and even share a few crazy stories along the way. Thank you so much for joining and we'll catch you on the next episode. Corey, what do you always say? I say, contact us because we're nice. We are. And Ralph, can you take us home with your favorite thing to wrap up with? Oh, absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for watching our video. Hopefully you've picked up a couple pointers along the way. Uh, we love you. We'd love to hear from you. So if you could do us a solid and smash that subscribe button or like button down below, feel free to make a comment and we'll see you next week. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Bye.